We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to begin a new series of messages, short one, uh, that I'm calling simply the dispensation of grace. The dispensation of grace. You'll see why. Let's stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me, to you, Lord. And may God bless the reading of His Word today as my prayer. You may be seated. The dispensation of the grace of God. Uh, this is uh, a series that's designed to help us to understand how that God's grace operates in our life. We know that God's grace is His special gift to us. In fact, uh, some have used grace as an acronym, uh, God's riches at Christ's uh, expense, grace. And uh, certainly grace is a precious, precious gift to us. Uh, but it's more than just something that we possess because God intends for His grace to operate in our lives. The word dispensation is very similar uh, to the word administration and, and how that it uh, then is operating. Uh, in Paul's life, he says, for the benefit of others, for his audience here as he was writing to the church at Ephesus so long ago, you see, God wants us not just to have grace, but to experience his grace as it goes to work in us. Quite frankly, if I were to try over the next several weeks to discuss all the things that God's grace does for us, I could never make it. We don't have the time. Uh, not in the hour or so that, uh, no, I'm not going to preach an hour. Uh, better take it back. Uh, 30 minutes or so. Uh, no. God's grace is too big of a subject for that. But I do hope this morning that uh, we'll get a taste for this and we'll get a greater appreciation and appetite, aptitude for what God is doing for us through His grace. And we see that demonstrated in the life of the great Apostle Paul. I'm hoping that we'll understand that uh, how God worked in Paul's life is a pattern for how he's going to work in our life. We'll see the things that he did for him, uh, but we'll also see how that he does those things for us. And the first thing that we're going to see is how that God's grace worked in his circumstances, in his life. And he says this right up front, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. The prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Ephesians is one of the prison epistles. And it's called that because Paul was a prisoner in Rome when this book was written. He'd been arrested years before, over five years before, in the temple in Jerusalem. It was a Roman garrison that took him prisoner. And they took him prisoner because he was about to be killed by a howling, raging mob. They took him prisoner. Uh, he was held over for trial. Uh, when they learned that there was a plot then against his life, they were intending to kill him before they ever got him out of Jerusalem. They transferred him to Caesarea, and he would stay there for five years. He would appear before Festus, the governor. He would appear before Felix. He would preach to King Agrippa while he was there. But it wasn't like he was traveling around and building churches and 
preaching all the time, night and day, as he would describe in some of his epistles, how that he would work and, and provide for his necessities and preach for others. He'd been so active in the preaching of the gospel. Five years. Five years. You see, when Paul then talks about himself as a prisoner, he doesn't describe himself, though, as a prisoner of the Romans, though the Romans had arrested him. He didn't describe himself as uh, a prisoner of the Jews, though the Jews had plotted against him and had accused him. Before we take that altogether too lightly, remember it was the accusation of the Jews coupled with the authority of the Roman government, governor Pontius Pilate that crucified Jesus Christ. So don't minimize what was going on here. Some of the same Jews were now plotting against Paul. Different governor, but the same authority behind them. Paul, though, was a Roman citizen. He ended up appealing his case to Caesar. Still five years. But he describes himself and came to see himself then as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of a great passage of Scripture that Paul wrote for us in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 when he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, you notice that, the, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by the faith of the Son of God. I've been crucified with Christ, he says, and now the life that I live belongs to him. And Paul was perfectly comfortable then with the awareness, and he got that through God's grace, that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He would apply that same principle to his apostleship, that is, that what he was, he was there by the grace of God, and the grace of God was operating in his life. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 9, Paul said, I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Every one of you and me could think of our lives, the life that we've lived, the mistakes that we've made, the choices that we've made along the way, and probably every one of us could find a reason why that God could never use us for anything. Certainly I could and Paul could. It was by his grace then that he could stand as an apostle, by his grace that he could speak truth into the lives of others. By his grace uh, then God was working in his life and using him, and the same is true of me and the same is true of you. The only explanation that any of us, sinners that we are, could be used of God is His grace. He applied that principle then to the preaching of the gospel. None of these, verse, Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. It's no wonder, considering the fact that Paul had persecuted Christians and killed Christians and imprisoned Christians and could see, say of himself, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. It's no wonder that Paul preached a lot about grace. 
You know, we might wonder what we need to talk to people about or how we need to share uh, with them biblical truth. There's no greater message that any of us can ever share than the grace of God that leads us to the truth of the gospel. For by grace are you saved through faith. We testify then the grace of God through the gospel. He applied this truth to salvation itself. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, Titus 2 and 11 Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace, he had said, are you saved through faith? And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you're saved in this building today, you're saved because of the grace of God. What else? Mm, our grace through faith. Through your faith in Jesus Christ. He applied this truth to everyday life. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, By the grace of God, he said, we have had our conversation in the world. That's our manner of life, the way that we live and more abundantly to you. You see, he talked about how that he lived his life in simplicity and sincerity. Uh, the wisdom of the flesh would never lead us to simplicity and to sincerity. Fleshly wisdom uh, leads us to in other directions. But the grace of God can operate in our lives to let us be content with simplicity and with sincerity. Not just making a show, not trying to put on a front, just simplicity and sincerity. Understanding these things, then we can more accurately uh, comprehend why it is that Paul would look at his present situation as being a prisoner of Jesus Christ and for the benefit of you Gentiles for the benefit of other people. And the truth is this morning we can look at the situations of our life and we can see them then, if you will, through the filter, through the lenses of the grace of God. I've told you before, I have myopia. Uh, we call it nearsightedness, a problem that affects our eyes. I can see up close, but I can't see far off. And uh, I will never forget the day that I first got glasses. If you are nearsighted, you were nearsighted all your life, you probably remember the first day you got glasses. You could see clouds in the sky. Wow. You could see stars. Wow. I could see leaves on the trees. Man, look at the leaves. I could see a bird. Said, look, there's a bird. I worried my parents to death all the way from Shreveport back home to Taylor, Arkansas, telling them all the things I could see. If you never had that experience, I know you don't understand. I realize that a little bit, but you know, you could see it. I want you to know this morning we can look at life through the blurred vision of our own experiences and our own understanding, or we can look at them through the lenses of the grace of God, and we can see them more clearly. Paul described himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You see that? That's God's grace at work. And this morning, you know, you might not have the best home situation. And whether you're uh, uh, experiencing that as a child or as an adult, maybe struggling. But I want you to know this morning, if you belong to Jesus Christ and he lives in you, you can learn to see that home situation through God's grace. And you might understand then maybe that I'm going through this and it's not just about me and how I feel. But maybe God intends to use this to give me a testimony to speak into somebody else's life. Just like Paul said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm in jail. 
and it's for others. You might not have the best job situation, but if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you can acknowledge that His grace is working in your life, and He might have you, God, that is, may have you in that situation that you're in so that you can be used to touch somebody else, maybe, that you work with, some testimony. You may not even be aware that you're giving, that God is using you to further the gospel. You may not be in the best health today, and just the fact that you, some of you, have got out of bed this morning and got dressed and are sitting in church today, you may not realize it, but you are here as a testimony to the grace of God. You may not think the rest of us notice. We do. We do. We may not know all that you're going through. But we know that God's grace is working in your life and He is therefore using you as a testimony of His grace. You may not have made the best choices in life. Even this week you may have made some bad decisions. But I'm here to tell you today that if you belong to Jesus, the grace of God hasn't given up on you yet. And God can take you through that difficult time and even those bad choices and bad decisions and get you back on your feet serving Jesus. And the very fact that you're here this morning tells you that God's still working. God's not through with you. Maybe somebody today needs to be reminded that God is still in the prodigal son receiving business. You start home to God, guess what? <laughs> He'll run to meet you, amen? That's the God that you and I serve. God's grace is still working in our life. Paul was in jail. He was in jail. He had planned to go to Spain. He saw another great mission opportunity, another great missionary journey, so that it wouldn't be three, but it'd be four. He was going to go to Rome before he went to Spain and try to help organize those churches and strengthen the many churches that were already being established in Rome, give them some good, solid, sound doctrinal truth, and he even said to impart to them some spiritual gifts. He intended then for those believers at Rome to help him on his journey as he went on to Spain. All Paul had planned. I'm going to go to Rome. Well, Paul went to Rome. But he did not go as a preacher like he intended. He went as a prisoner. He did not go with liberty. He went and changed. He had plans. But his plans didn't work out the way he planned. Has anybody but me ever had that same kind of decision when your plans didn't work out the way you planned? And I've heard it a thousand times, and you have too. He said, if you ever want to hear God laugh, they say the old saying goes, just tell him your plans. I, I just abhor that statement, quite frankly. I don't say that this morning because I like it. I don't like it. Uh, I, I don't like it. Um, I don't like it because I know that God knows our future. Because I believe in God's providential care and love for us. God doesn't laugh when we plan out something silly. It breaks his heart when we plan out something silly. And a lot of times his interruptions of our plans 
are exactly what we're talking about today. His grace. His grace. Remember when Simon Peter was put in prison in Acts chapter 12? It was right on the heels of James, the brother of John, as in Peter, James, and John that we see all over the Gospels. James was killed by Herod. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he booked Simon Peter for the next execution, put him in jail. The only thing that kept him from going through with it was it was almost Passover, so he decided to wait until after Passover. It's one of those great passages in Scripture when the Bible tells us, but... Constant prayer was offered up for him on behalf of the, by the church on his behalf. Constant prayer was going up for Simon Peter. And you remember the story. I hope you do. If you don't, let me tell you what happened. Okay, Simon Peter's in jail. Church is over here praying. Peter in jail. Church praying. Church prayed a lot. Simon Peter was asleep. I'm not sure I would sleep the night before I was to be executed, but Simon Peter was. Angel comes, wakes him up, takes him out of the prison, sets him free. And I love that passage when Simon Peter ends up at the church where the people are gathered together, knocking on the door, and they wouldn't let him in. Leave us alone. We're praying for Simon Peter. It was more, it took God, it was harder for God to get him into church than it was for God to get him out of jail. Finally let him in. Much rejoicing. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. Great story how that God delivered Simon Peter from prison. Same God left Paul in prison for five years. Now, Paul might have written Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the book of Philemon, which all he wrote during that period of two years when he was in his own house in prison in Rome. He might have written those things anyway. But the fact is, he wrote them while he was in prison. And since he was there, Paul could look at that whole experience and say, Jesus could take me out of here, but he didn't. He's left me in here. So just call me a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul knew the Lord enough to know that no bars could hold him if Jesus decided to set him free. Not Rome, not Caesar, not the Praetorian Guard. Nobody could hold him if Jesus decided to set him free. He knew that. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So we can understand maybe a little bit more this morning about how God's grace is operating in our situation. And we can look then at that situation through the lenses of grace and maybe see it more clearly. We might not know all the purposes that God has. We might not know all the reasons that God has for what's going on, but if God decides to let me go through this and use it to benefit somebody else, my life belongs to Him. And I know that it's in very good hands when I gave it to Him. God's grace in our situations 
Then God's grace worked for the understanding of truth. Verse 3, How that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Revelation. We might think of Paul's years in Caesarea, as many commentaries do, as being the silent years of Paul's life, but certainly it wasn't because God was being silent. Uh, God used that time in Paul's life to bring to him a better understanding, perhaps, of, of a lot of the things relating to the truth of the gospel and generations of God's people, including the ones that he wrote it to. And many generations since have been blessed by what God gave to Paul in those times. Now the mystery that he is talking about in this passage he said had been written in few words and that refers back to Ephesians 1.9 Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purchased in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him. And so he identifies the mystery in few words, and the few words are basically all in Christ. That uh, it was, This was not just going to be a Hebrew situation, but God had a plan that was going to involve all people, Jew or Gentile, and they were all going to be brought to a state of oneness or completion in Jesus Christ. That was the great mystery. Now, there were shadows of that in the Old Testament. Uh, Paul would mention one in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when he talked about when Moses was up on the mountain and he came down and his face was shining and the people couldn't look at him and so Moses put a veil over his face. It was all well and good. Uh, but over time, you see, that glory was fading. In fact, it was already fading. And Moses kept the veil on longer than he had to have because he didn't want the people to know the glory was fading. And Paul would write to them and say later in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that to this very day he said that veil is still on the hearts of God's people. You see, they didn't realize that that old covenant, the Old Testament, was of a temporary duration. And that it, while it was glorious, God spoke to Moses on the mount, gave him his plan for how to live and how to worship. But everything that he gave to Moses was intended to fade away. If you want to think about the high point, the high water mark of the old covenant, it was when Moses was on the mountain and he came down with his face shining. The glory was fading. Until finally that old covenant, Old Testament, was going to be replaced by a new covenant, a new uh, uh, plan of operation, what we call the New Testament. That was a mystery. There were pictures of it and shadows of it, but really the fullness of that mystery was simply not revealed in the Old Testament. But now, now Paul says this has all been brought to, uh, to clarity. God has revealed this by revelation to his apostles, primarily him, and to the rest. And also it was confirmed by the prophets. You see, the apostles and prophets in New Testament times, before they had the completed Word of God, the Bible, uh, the apostles and prophets were uh, the, the living Bible, if you will. They were the walking, talking, speaking uh, 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 depository of, of God's Word until it was written down for us and completed at the end of the book of Revelation. There's a lot of people out there these days talking about how God told me this. God said that. God talked to me. God spoke to me. God said this. God called my name and told me whatever. There's so many of them now. 
it's, uh, it, we can't even keep track of it. But let's understand it hasn't always been that way. Uh, we can go back to, uh, in fact, uh, perhaps the most famous case in America of someone claiming that God had spoken to him. And when he made that claim, it literally made front page news around the world. The man's name was Oral Roberts. He's dead now. He had claimed, he said that he had seen a 900 foot tall vision of Jesus. He saw Jesus, 900 feet tall, told him to build a hospital. A few years later, that hospital was struggling financially. He had seen this hospital as a place where faith healing and medicinal healing could go hand in hand. And he built it. It was called the City of Faith or Faith City Hospital. I forget now what the name of it is. There it is, City of Faith Medical and Research Center when he built it. But uh, when he really made headlines was when he went on his program and said that God had spoken to him and told him that he would call him home unless he raised $8 million by the end of March 1987. And that was one of the most famous cases. You see, it was not commonplace back then for people to say, God spoke to me, God told me, God gave me this. It wasn't commonplace. And this was such a big claim and such a specific claim that I'm not making this up, folks. You can Google it when you get home. I know many of you weren't alive in 1987. I remember it when it happened. Some of you do too. It was a big deal. God's going to call me home unless I raise $8 million. I know what you're thinking. Uh, did he raise it? Yes, he actually raised $9.1 million uh, with the help of a dog track owner named Jerry Collins who sent him $1.3 million just right before the, <clears throat> should I say, deadline. <sighs> but the hospital closed anyway. It was only open for eight years. This was one of many, many times when Oral Roberts made that claim and many, many others, so many anymore. Listen, it doesn't even make a blip on anybody's radar anymore. God told me this. God said that. I realize today we've got guests here and you don't listen to me all the time. I understand. Those who are here a lot understand, know it. Uh, that's not terminology that I ever use. Ever. I've never, ever said that God spoke to me and told me this. You're never going to come to a business meeting and have me stand up and say, God told me that this is what we need to do. The reason that I don't use that is twofold. Number one, I think it's very bad terminology. And I'll explain more about that in a moment. And number two, if God is speaking to me, then if you don't agree with me, then you are disagreeing with God. Do you understand that? You understand what I'm saying? And I don't believe in putting people in that position where you can't argue with me without arguing with God. That's an awfully heavy hammer for me to hit people with, and I'm just not going to do it. But I also believe it's bad terminology, and I'll tell you why. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God 
may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly furnished. Perfect, that means complete, unto all good works. You see, God communicates to us today through the power of the Spirit as He uses His completed Word to direct us and lead us. There are times when we may need guidance. And when we do, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you're saved. And He lives inside of me. Christ in you, the Bible says, the hope of glory. I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. Same Christ lives in you. The Bible says when we lack wisdom, we are to what? Ask of God who gives to all men liberally. To all men, not just a select few. But to all men, all who are believers can ask God to help them, to lead them, to guide them. I believe God speaks through His Word. I believe God speaks through the preaching of His Word. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't spend so much time trying to do it. I've seen God do some incredible things, amazing things. Right here in this very church, not too long ago, we had a family who came in. They were just passing through. They picked our church out over the Internet. I didn't know them from Adam. They didn't know me, didn't know our church, never been here before. I didn't know they were coming. And if enough, even if I would have known they were coming, I, I wouldn't have known what to do or how to do. I just preached the same message that I would have preached regardless of who was here. I'd prepared it, planned it. But she came out, the mom did, and tears on her face. You know, preacher, you don't know me, but I just want you to know uh, God used that message to give me exactly what I needed today. And this is what she said. I didn't even know I needed it. I didn't even know I needed it. Folks, I couldn't plan that if I tried. And I don't try. You say, well, hadn't you ever got up on Sunday morning and changed your message? No. Nope. I haven't. Hadn't you ever walked in and seen somebody here and say, man, I needed to preach them something? No. No. Yeah, no. I, I turned this one in on Monday to Miss Tina, and I had the bare outline down, worked on it some. I had the PowerPoint ready by about 4 o'clock this morning, sent it to Brother Mark. This is what you get. What I'm telling you is that God speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through the preaching of His Word. But if, I, if I do my part, if I'm listening to Him, if I'm seeking His will... My heart's open to him. That's what I mean when I say I'm listening to him. If I'm following his leadership, God can get that message to me just as well on Monday or Tuesday as he could on Saturday morning or Sunday morning. If I ever had to get up here and change my message, I'd, I'd pray and ask God to forgive me for being so backslid that I couldn't, I had to wait all the way to Sunday morning to get the message that he wanted me to preach. I believe God speaks to us through His Word, through His Spirit. He uses it then to get across to us the, the message that He wants us to have to lead us. But does God speak to us through an audible voice or an inaudible voice? Is God going to call your name? And I don't believe that. 
God works through His Spirit. God works through His Word. The revelation that Paul and the other apostles got was very specific revelation. Do I believe God was speaking to them? Absolutely. But now listen and listen carefully. I'm going to try to make this point as, as easily as I can for you. Okay, there is no qualification on the Word of God. If God speaks, God speaks. If God speaks to you, then we can't say that somehow God has given you a lesser word <laughs> and that somewhere back here then God gave a people a, a greater word. What I'm telling you is if God speaks to you, God speaks and you really can't shun to say that He was speaking to you exactly like He spoke to Moses, exactly like He spoke to Paul. And do I believe that's still happening today? No. I believe God speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through the Spirit that lives inside of us as He communicates to us and helps us and helps us to understand in a better way what His Word means and how it applies to our life. When we lack wisdom, if we'll follow God's leadership, I believe the Spirit will convict us. The Bible tells us the steps of a good man are ordered, directed by the Lord. He will guide us. He will lead us, opens doors, closes them. Yes, I believe all those things. But the revelation that Paul speaks of in this passage is not going on. That doesn't mean that God's grace doesn't take His Word as He's given it and apply it to our life and lead us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He does. He does. So God's grace then worked in Paul's life and his circumstances. We saw that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you. It was a tough circumstance in his life to be in jail, but he saw it through the lens of God's grace. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And while God had him locked up, Oh, God was showing him these marvelous truths that all of us are the beneficiaries of, even to this day. And there may be times in your life where God has to slow you down, slow me down. God may have to set us down, set me down. God may have to put you flat on your back. He may have to put me flat on my back. There may be times where I have to find myself with my feet knocked out from under me, not because I tripped on a speaker. <laughs> Some of y'all were here when that happened, but my feet knocked out from under me because of a situation that happened in my life and, and just really throw it all to, up. I mean, I just feel like everything's up. And you come up saying, God, I need your help. And we're ready to listen. God's grace does that. God's grace works in your life and mine to give us a better understanding of His truth. And my question for all of you this morning is, uh, is the grace of God, first of all, in your life? Have you received God's grace? If you haven't been saved, then... 
You're just kind of a spectator to His grace. You know it's out there, but you haven't experienced it because you can't experience it except through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't work yourself into grace. But then grace goes to work once you've got it. Maybe this morning you need to respond to God's grace in your life in some way. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to follow Him in baptism. Maybe you have been thinking God's leading you to be a part of this church family. That's God's grace, God's Spirit working in your life. Maybe there's a struggle going on, a battle. And you know right now that you need to give it over to the grace of God. I plead with you to do it. Let's stand together, please.